Welcome to the AM Global Podcast Series addressing business concerns we face today. In this podcast series, AM's Healthcare Industry Group co head, Peter Urbanowitz, is joined by Dr. David Shulkin, the ninth secretary of the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, and Jennifer Bell, founder of Chamber Hill Strategies, to discuss the direction and policy changes we may anticipate in healthcare under the Biden administration. We're back for part two of our discussion on healthcare policy direction in the Biden administration. I'm Peter Urbanowitz, the co-head of Alvarez and Marcel's Healthcare Industry Group. I'm joined again by Dr. David Shulkin, the ninth secretary of the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, as well as by Jennifer Bell, the founder of Chamber Hill Strategies. In our first episode, we talked about cabinet secretary effectiveness and the role of the White House versus the agencies in creating healthcare policy. We also discussed how the $1.9 trillion COVID relief stimulus bill will affect the ACA exchanges and Medicaid. In the second episode, we're gonna talk about President Biden's campaign promises for healthcare and how they will play out in actual governance. We're also gonna talk some about prescription drug pricing reform. Let's, let's turn to some of the priorities that the Biden administration ran on in the campaign. And I'll ask you both to comment first. Obviously, the number one issue uh, during the campaign, COVID-19 response. Then candidate Biden said at worst he'd do a better job than Trump on COVID. David, what do you think uh, of first of President Biden's COVID-19 plan? And how do you think things are going for this new administration on COVID-19? Well, I think if you take a look at the uh, public opinion polls, uh, President Biden is doing a far better job, according to the public, than President Trump. He's polling in the mid-60s for his handling of the COVID pandemic, where President Trump was in the 30s. And I think that that probably is due to the consistency of messaging. There is um, almost daily briefings from the White House. He's appointed people that are both knowledgeable and media, media savvy to be able to communicate the progress. The goal of setting 100 million Americans to be vaccinated in 90 days is a goal that is people can follow and track. And fortunately, I think that the vaccine approvals and manufacturing processes and the use of the Defense Production Act have allowed the vaccine supply to be able to keep up with those promises. So I think overall, the focus on the pandemic and giving dates of, of you know, May 1st of when it's going to be available to everybody, I think has been very helpful and um, it's proving to be an effective strategy for the president. I'm glad you mentioned messaging, Dr. Shulkin, because I think uh, there's a bipartisan problem with messaging and, and getting momentum from big health care bills. We saw this with the Bush administration, uh, 43, on uh, Medicare prescription drug law. Certainly saw it on uh, the Affordable Care Act with President Obama. And, you know, most tragically, President Biden and Vice President Harris were out to talk about the successes of this last COVID bill. And then the Atlanta shootings happened. And so it will be interesting to me whether they can get back on track 
to tout the benefits of the COVID bill, because in, in many respects, Americans are really impatient, right? Give me my money. Let's move on. I want to live my life. And they really don't want to deal with the federal government any more than they have to. That doesn't bode well for the administration if they want to get kudos for all that they've done. But it certainly, uh, as you said, goes without saying that they've been able to be much more disciplined across the cabinet, not just uh, from, from the podium on this bill. Having spent time in two administrations, messaging really is key. Everybody wants to go back to the fabled days of the Reagan administration, which I think by many accounts is probably, if not the most successful, certainly turned messaging into an art that every administration since Democratic or Republican have wanted to copy. But President Reagan was lucky because there were just three television networks that had a television show at six or seven in the evening, and that's all he had a message to. Now you've got all these cable channels and internet and websites and podcasts. It's it's hard to control the message. And uh, so I do give uh, props to this administration for at least trying to have consistency from the White House to all of the agencies. Real quick, let's turn again to um, Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. And Jennifer, you gave some comments on the parts that are in the COVID relief bill. Candidate Biden said he'd go back to fixing Obamacare, which he said the Trump administration was trying to gut. They got some things into the, um, the stimulus bill uh, with the additional premium support. What else is there to be done to, quote, fix Obamacare? Uh, does it get fixed with a public option? Does it get fixed with more, uh, with bigger uh, premium support? How does it get fixed if it needs to get fixed? It's a good question, Peter, because you have to sort of start thinking about, well, what's broken? Uh, certainly, uh, President Trump in 2017, Republicans tried to fix Obamacare by repealing it. That's certainly not the mood now. And I don't think anywhere anyone is thinking that that's the fix uh, that the president is considering. When you think about fixes, really, the, the former administration tried to um, very uh, deliberately uh, discourage people from enrolling in uh, traditional plans that were set in the marketplace, or certainly pulled back funding um, from marketing efforts. And so fixes in many respects uh, for this administration early on in their term is going to be getting the message out, right? People are eligible for benefits. They need to be able to sign up for them, to not have barriers, whether they're um, barriers of technology or um, other means that, that they're not able to understand what's what they're eligible for. And I think that's really where the focus is going to be. Uh, legislatively, now they have a partner to get more funding for those um, types of efforts. I'm certainly seeing uh, the possibility that there'll be some enrollment extensions. That is something that the administration can do on its own. Not really clear if they will, but again, when you open up enrollment or extend periods, then you're going to have more people who are able to sign up and be eligible for either premium tax subsidies or um, being able to access the new benefits from the COVID bill. You know, the other thing that the administration certainly will do, I think, with the Affordable Care Act is be a bit more aggressive with states who are trying to, particularly red states, who are trying to uh, use the Section 1332 waiver process to allow for plans that this administration wouldn't consider compliant with the ACA, right? These are things like health plans that don't necessarily meet all the essential benefit requirements or other flexibilities. Again, the term flexibility was very much supported in the, the 
Trump administration. And for that administration, that meant um, being more flexible with what the law allowed. I think this administration certainly will want to play with states on expanding Medicaid or other um, opportunities to work together to advance value-based purchasing, but they will be much more reticent to work with states who are trying to implement work requirements or other things that would be considered hindrances to healthcare insurance. We could talk all day about uh, the Affordable Care Act and ways to make it better. It seems to me one of the biggest challenges with the Affordable Care Act and the way it's set up is if you get a subsidy, you're taken care of and and you may you know there may be some large co-payments and deductibles in the policy but you're taken care of the biggest challenge are those individuals who don't qualify for the subsidies because we've seen the policies on the exchanges get very very expensive and that's what happens when you have a government subsidy the prices tend to go up and up and up and for a lot of small business people who may just be uh two people the the wife and the husband, they need coverage for their small business. Maybe there's a couple of employees, or maybe it's just someone who's self-employed. Those are the people who get cut out, and those are the people who are angry with the way that uh, the Affordable Care Act rolled out. So with the absence of giving a subsidy to just about everyone, regardless of income, how do you you know, bring some market pressure to get those prices in line? I think that's probably the biggest unsolved problem of Obamacare. Any thoughts on that, David or Jennifer? I think you're right, Peter. That's the reason why the Biden administration has been so bullish on expanding the subsidies and pouring more money into the system. In fact, President Biden is going to be out today talking about this issue of affordability and using the example of a 64-year-old who is making $58,000 a year before the expansion of the subsidies. He was paying $1,075 a month. Now he's going to be paying $413 a month. And anybody less making less than $20,000 a year is going to have zero premiums on these plans. So this is really new money that's flowing into the system to be able to address that affordability issue. Where that money is going to come from and how we're going to eventually pay that back, I think, is the big question. You know, it took uh, it took you both a couple of minutes to describe the affordability problem. I think Americans across the board can unite around what they feel is unfair pocketbook prices for prescription drugs, right? So whether you're rich or poor, have insurance or not, you're irritated, upset, be you know beyond disgusted with what you're paying for whether it's a copay or directly out of your pocket for drugs and i think that's where this administration frankly can get a lot more policy done uh, advanced uh, messaging as it were than trying to solve the real insurance problems that's years in the making and years in the fixing I think that's where this administration is going to try to make more dense, as it were, is in prescription drug pricing. But everyone on this podcast knows that's not simple either. Talk about market pressure. Um, If it was fixable, it would have been fixed years ago. Well, let's talk real quick about prescription drug prices. That's one thing that, you know, I heard directly from President Trump, why he was interested in taking on prescription drugs as opposed to other parts of the healthcare program as a salesman. You know, how much you pay for a premium for your health insurance or your copay, you know, it's a lot of money, but it really doesn't register. But when you go to the drugstore and you pick up your prescription, and when you went two weeks ago, you paid $10 out of pocket, 
but this time you're now going to pay $50 out of pocket. That hits you, you remember it. And so you go to the drugstore a lot more times for some people than they might go for a major medical procedure. So that's why prescription drugs is uh, so important because it hits people's pocketbook more often, especially seniors. So what's to be done about prescription drugs? Uh, you know, the last administration wanted to attack uh, the drug rebate program, which is opaque and convoluted. They proposed an international drug pricing rule where essentially we'd pay based on a benchmark of what they're paying in Germany or France or England for drugs. You know, David, do you think prescription drug pricing is still an important issue? And uh, you know, how should this administration attack it? Yeah, I think this was such a hopeful year, start to the year for the pharmaceutical executives, because the first thing the Biden administration did was they started to pull back on some of those uh, hastily put in executive orders by President Trump before he left office that looked like they were targeted for lowering drug prices. But uh, the Biden administration put those on hold and the court put one of the rebate executive orders. Uh, they essentially put that on hold as well. But that was very short lived for the pharmaceutical industry because I think the pressure is quite significant. 89% of the public feels that prescription drug prices are too high. You don't get that type of agreement on many, many issues. But I think the real uh, indicator that this is coming to the pharmaceutical industry is, again, when you look at what's being proposed in this new infrastructure bill, again, a new trillion dollars of spending, the savings that are put into that bill, three to four trillion dollars over 10 years, all come from lower prescription drug pricing policy initiatives. So uh, that's just going to be too tempting when you put that in conjunction with public opinion for Congress and for the administration to walk away from. Even this week, Vice President Harris started to reveal the administration's plans for drug pricing. And what it really looks like is um, ceiling of prices. Um, she talked about companies are going to need to be able to price their drugs and there be ceilings based upon these international indexes, and that if companies are found to be price gouging, that there would be a 100% tax on the profits uh, where those cases are found. So I think that we're going to see a couple things. We're going to see clearly uh, increased transparency of drug pricing, probably put through the health plan so that they have to disclose their costs and rebates and co-insurance. And then I think that we're going to see a lot of political maneuvering with the threat of uh, price setting uh, and price ceilings tied to these international indexes. But all that's going to result in significant pressure to reduce the cost of prescription drugs. Jennifer, there was a lot of appetite uh, in this last administration when I was there on doing something legislatively on prescription drugs. There were Democrats who obviously wanted to do something. There were some very powerful Republicans like Lamar Alexander who wanted to do something on prescription drug prices, but in the end, they couldn't do anything. Bernie Sanders uh, is out there now with a proposal on, uh, which looks like to me, the international price index only by legislation. Is there an appetite for actually doing something and can you get a bipartisan package on prescription drugs through? 
Well, you point out the real problem, right? I'm a policy girl at heart, but when it comes down to passing legislation, it's all about counting noses. So uh, you pointed out last year, the House was able to pass, uh, you know, sweeping drug legislation that would affect the prices of drugs. And, and, and a lot of policy was in there. The Senate couldn't even get out of committee. It was a totally different bill. Now you have much smaller margins. And the problem has always been the Senate. What can pass the House can't pass the Senate. What can pass the Senate can't pass the House. And so on prescription drug legislation, if I'm a pharmaceutical company, or frankly, if I'm a patient organization with a rare disease, I'm appealing to the minority but in many respects, or someone like Joe mansion to say, hey, this is uh, not the time for um, a prescription drug legislation that impacts you know, my ability to innovate if I'm a, a company or my ability to get a drug uh, through the process to cure a disease or to mitigate um, some of the effects. And so I, I'm not real bullish on Congress being able to advance um, you know, sweeping drug legislation, but I think to a certain extent, you can uh, pass legislation that has an impact and call it uh, an effect in many respects if it's in a much larger bill, right? As uh, Dr. Shulkin pointed out, infrastructure is a broad term that's going to be used very flexibly in Washington. And being able to beat up on a pharmaceutical company um, gets good political points as well as advancing um, you know, policies that you've wanted to pass for a long time. Thanks again, David and Jennifer, for those great insights. In our third and final episode, Dr. David Shulkin and Jennifer Bell will talk about the Biden administration's commitment to equity in healthcare. And they'll give us their assessment on what industries are on the ins and who's on the outs in the Biden administration. This is Peter Urbanowitz. Thanks again for joining us for the second podcast episode on healthcare policy direction in the Biden administration. Alvarez and Marcel. Leadership, action, results.